Okay, good. Okay, thank you all for joining us today on this uh, special day. It's a great pleasure and an honor to have Rabbi Lazarus or Doron Lazarus in this capacity back in town in St. Louis, although he, he moved a few years ago to South Bend. It's great to uh, have him back. You know, I was wondering, maybe you wondered the same. Why did Hashem create the world that we need to sleep? What is an, isn't it a waste of time? Billions of people around the world, on average, seven, eight hours of sleep, whatever it is, five, six, seven, so many wasted hours. Why did HaKadosh Baruch create the world in such a way that we need to sleep? I saw a beautiful answer, which I think puts into context the importance of this session with uh, Reb Doron, and uh, hopefully it will give us something to think about. And the answer I saw is, because if we didn't have sleep, then we would essentially have one continuous and long day of life. What sleep does is it gives us and enables us to look at tomorrow as a fresh start, a new beginning, something that we, something that we could use to try to rectify and fix and even be more successful in the following day. If it was one long day, it's just a continuation of all the mistakes and all the challenges that we may have had in the previous time period, it just continues. And that's the reason why Hashem created the concept of sleep to give us the hischachas to be able to renew, which we just learned in last week's parsha about Rosh Chodesh, the new moon being used by the Jewish people as our calendar because we're all about renewal. We're all about starting again and trying again and giving it all our best yet again. And that's why it's so important to transform our sleep, to be able to make our sleep as useful and, and uh, beneficial as possible, to thereby, as Rav Daron put it in his title, to transform our life. That will Bez Hashem with the success and the guidance that we'll have, Bez Hashem from Rav Daron, will be able to transform our sleep and through that, transform our life. Rav Daron, it's all yours. Thank you, Rabbi Berkowitz. What a, what a nice and beautiful and holy introduction. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and share my... Oh, um, it says the host is disabled screen sharing. Could I enable my screen sharing? Whoever's the host? If you, make, if you make Rabbi Lazarus a co-host, he'll be able to share. Rabbi Berkowitz, I'm impressed with your technical knowledge over here. This is... Uh, you're, you're quite the COVID Zoom expert. COVID taught me a lot. COVID that, taught me a lot. <laughs> wonderful. It, it's a pleasure to be back with everybody. Uh, it's really... Uh, I did live in St. Louis for, uh, for five years. It's an amazing community. I was actually back a few weeks ago visiting for Shabbos. Uh, we do live in South Bend now, but I do miss the very special quality of the community. If you think that South Bend is this beautiful, like it's going on in my scenes, this is a fake background. It's like uh, 18 degrees and snowing right now. So I just put on this scene to uh, to remind myself the nostalgia of my Southern California days. Oh, it looks like I'm a host and I can go ahead and share my screen over here. Okay, let's shut down my LinkedIn window and let's, uh, let's, there's slideshow. Okay, can everyone see in the background? Perfect. We are there in action. So I figured um, we want to make this as interactive as possible. I want to be as helpful as possible. I definitely don't want to be speaking the whole time. I'm going to give a presentation. I'm going to speak about the little background into sleep, how I got into it. We're going to dive into some very specific um, the answers and specific insights that we might have to sleep that you might not just get in a regular Google search or something like that. And then I definitely want to take your questions. I want to take your questions both as we're speaking. If anything specifically comes up, 
I would love to hear your feedback as well as we definitely want to leave time at the end if anybody has specific questions and if you fall asleep between now and then we will wake you up and you will be able to ask all of your questions. So certainly again, thank you very much for having me. I ended up, my background, um, I was involved in Kiruv as many people might know in St. Louis, but even before that, while I was living in Israel, I personally struggled with sleep. I struggled with insomnia. And really, my, my academic background was in psychobiology. I ended up studying that at UCLA. But it was really my, only, my own challenge with sleep that really kind of bore out my passion and understanding and really being able to empathize with people that can't sleep properly and how hard that is, how challenging and how frustrating, and really to be able to bring in all of these elements to be able to get a good night's sleep. So a couple of years ago, I opened up my own online sleep practice um, called Executive Sleep Consulting, and we work with clients who struggle with sleep all around the world. So it indeed is a very uh, exciting endeavor. I am a rabbi here. I uh, continued in my rabbinic work. I am a community rabbi in South Bend, Indiana. I have a little shul here called the Midwest Torah Center. Would love if anybody is passing through. We're just about a couple of hours outside Chicago. Would love you to come and visit. And they, um, people ask me like, well, that's an interesting combination. A rabbi, a sleep coach, you know, like what, what's going on with that combination? And so the way that I like to tell them is the following story. You might have heard the story. You might have not. But basically, there is a rabbi in Israel, and he dies. He goes to heaven. He's nifter. And he's up there with the malach, the, uh, the angels over there. And that before he can go get admitted into Gan Eden, before he can get admitted into heaven, so they're scrutinizing every one of his actions. They're looking at everything he ate everything he said, everything he did, and on the scales, and back, and forth, and plus, and minus, and he's getting really hot under the collar. I mean, he thought he lived, led a good life, but lo and behold, they're really uh, bringing up and fine-tooth comb and everything, and he's getting quite nervous. And while all this is going on, he sees behind him there's a secular Israeli bus driver who dies also, and just gets immediately whisked off to heaven. The angels just take him right in, no questions, just right in. And he looks at this guy, you know, piercings and tattoos and like non-religious lifestyle. And he turns to the angels. He says this, what's with this? Me, you're roasting me over the coals over here. You're giving me the, uh, the, 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 full, uh, the full interrogation. And him, you just let right in. What's going on? So the malachim, they tell him, he says, look, Rabbi, let's be honest. We all know the truth. When you were giving your sermons, everyone just fell asleep. When he was driving his bus, everyone was on the edge of their seat praying. And, and in that regard, somehow rabbis and sleep coaches, by, what, by hook or by crook, will put you to sleep one way or the other. So that's just a little, a little introduction, but let's, let's go ahead and dive right in. So here's a quote. I'm going to just minimize this window here, right? It says, if a man had as many ideas during the day as he had when he, as as he does when he has insomnia, he'd make a fortune. We all know that I oftentimes get clients having that experience of like, I lie down, I'm calm, I lie down my head on the pillow and just like, boom, all these ideas rush into my head and then I feel I have to write them, I ponder them and worry them. We can definitely speak about some practical ideas about how to avoid that situation. Um, now, I just want to speak about in general the importance of sleep. And I would imagine that I'm dealing with a very high echelon uh, society over here. This is the uh, creme de la creme. This is, Rabbi, this is the junior kolel, right? This is the, uh, the, the juniors, this is the, the, young, the young people, so I was told. But you guys all know how important sleep is. 
and especially as people get up in age, how important sleep becomes, and perhaps I was elusive of it is, and we can definitely speak about the end, some specific challenges that we have, um, you know, as people get as people get older, indeed, about how they sleep. So we know that sleep is essential in maintaining our optimal energy throughout the day. Sleep is literally the foundation for all of our physical and mental health. When we sleep right, it restores so many systems, both in our body and in our mind. And when we're not sleeping well, everything gets kind of goes off and, and really gets, gets out of whack. Um, mental prowess, definitely both when we're young, indeed of our concentration, of our focus, of our mood, everything that goes on in our brain has a tremendous amount of effect in sleep. And not only in the short term, like if I didn't sleep well last night, that throws me off the next night. But in terms of the long term, we know many studies that have been linked with Alzheimer's and dementia and other cognitive declines that are brought about in a much greater rate when people aren't sleeping. So sleep is a very significant investment to be able to bring one's time. Uh, we know balanced mood and emotional response. We've all been there when we've been sleep deprived. We're cranky, we're irritable, we're moody, and this sleep enables our emotional system to regulate, enables us to be able to handle stress. There are so many positive physiological and emotional benefits that come around through sleep. Um, physical health and immunity, we certainly know, especially nowadays, everyone wants their immune system to be tip-top. We don't want to feel that our immunity is waning, and it's incredible just, I recently made just a short video about the sleep and the immunity, about how when we sleep, our T-cells are launched and our body is actually in a state of quasi-inflammation where our immune response takes care of all those foreign pathogens that are in our body. It creates the immune memory system that enables that all of those immune cells are able to remember and be able to transcribe all of the data that they took about which you know pathogens, which foreign entities are there. Really, when we've been there, I don't need to tell you all the scientific detail. We know that when we don't sleep well, we feel run down, we get sick, and when we're sleeping well, our immune system is in tip-top shape. And as well, um, diet and exercise, this is something that there's a very close relationship between our quality of our sleep and our ability to lose weight, our ability to regulate our metabolism, our ability to have the energy to exercise, because we know if we're sleep deprived, we simply don't have that. It's really that vicious cycle that we know when we're sleep deprived, that we, you know, we, we end up staying up late, we end up eating the sugar, we end up going for those like instant rush foods because we don't have that energy for within our natural body. So there's a lot of connection in really everything that we do as the, the title says, it's not if you snooze, you lose. It's if you snooze, you win. And obviously, we have to find the appropriate amount of time and the quality of sleep. But overall, sleep is something that's very, very important for everything that we do. Feel free to stop me with any, any questions that you might have. Okay, here, this is a, let's put this up top here. Uh, this is a quote. This is a quote from this young man named Jeff Bezos. Uh, Jeff is the, uh, you might've heard of it, a little company called Amazon. It's like a hundred billion dollar company. I believe Jeff is, Jeff is the richest man in the world. Um, and Jeff Bezos, just in case you thought you're too busy uh, to get a decent night's sleep, Jeff Bezos gets eight hours of sleep. So you're like, oh, how did the guy make a hundred billion dollars creating Amazon? Mm, got eight hours of sleep. Interesting. 
And I'll just read this quote right now. He says, I prioritize it. Uh, Bezos said, uh, uh, Bezos said of sleep, I think better, have more energy. My mood is better as a senior executive. You get paid to make a small number of high quality decisions. He said, your job is not to make a thousand decisions every day. That's, it, 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 is that really worth it if the quality of those decisions might be lower because you were tired and grouchy? And we've all been there. We've all been tired and grouchy. We all know what that means. And therefore, I think it's worth thinking about, well, if Jeff Bezos is not too busy to get eight hours of sleep, maybe I'm not too busy either. Okay. Now, I don't believe in a one-size-fits-all solution, not for any individual on the planet. And also, even within our own lives, as you might have seen, as I know this is a very young crowd, but if you lived a few decades, you might have watched your sleep cycles change. Maybe when you were a teenager, you know, you stayed up late and you slept in. And as you got a little bit older, then you had little kids. And at each stage in life, our sleep cycles change. And that continues up into our golden, into our senior years. So how much sleep do you need? I think the more important question is to be able to have that inner awareness of your sleep cycle and ask myself, when I get six hours, how, how do I feel? When I get seven hours, how do I feel? When I get eight or nine hours, how do I feel? And if I find myself feeling sleep deprived and I recognize those symptoms in my body, I say, okay, now I need to catch up on sleep. Maybe that means taking a nap as we're going to speak about in a second is I don't believe napping is a bad thing. Napping can actually be a very good thing. Or maybe that means getting more hours a night. Maybe it means going to bed earlier. Every individual has to ask themselves that question, but to be able to keep their sleep health in line. Um, when to go to bed and when to wake up, that's a very much just like we have personality differences. Some of us are more extroverted, some more introverted. Some people get, you know, are tremendously naturally happy and basimcha. Some people are serious and that's fine. Everyone has their natural uh, personality. So, so too, when it comes to sleep, some people are naturally night people and their body clock is shifted to work best at night. They go to bed late, they wake up late and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that as long as your lifestyle and your family can allow for that kind of flexibility. Some people are more morning people and they, morning people and they like to go to bed earlier, they like to wake up earlier. Every individual has to find out. And even as that changes in life, it changes life circumstances, changes with retirement. But that question about when to go to bed and when to wake up is a very individual decision. Um, we spoke recently about, we spoke just briefly about naps. So napping, and this is, I think, one thing that a lot of people are trying to get wrong. And especially as people get older, people think that you know, their sleep is at eight hour, you know, from whatever, 10 to six or 11 to seven, whenever they sleep. So, and they think, well, if, if my sleep is broken, I'm not sleeping consistently in that time. What, what should I do about it? So one of the things my somebody might think about is maybe our sleep wasn't meant to be necessarily continuous. You know, it's uh, noted that the famous Vilna Gon, the, the uh, River Eliyahu Kramer of Vilna, he notably, he only took naps for 30 minute naps during the day. That's all he slept two hours a day. And he was fine and he was sharp and he was strong. I'm not recommending that we try that at home, but to think about maybe I don't need to get eight hours of sleep in a row. Maybe my body is actually designed to sleep less at night 
or you know certainly as we get older very common to wake up once or twice a night to use the restroom very common and maybe i need to take get less sleep at night and be able maybe a nap in the day actually works better for my sleep cycle so as opposed to trying to you know kind of fix something and view it's broken if it doesn't fit into a necessary mold to think about what works best in my lifestyle what gives me the energy what can avoid the frustration in my own sleep cycle that will allow me to sleep my best so again we're just speaking in a 20,000 foot bird's eye view, but I'm just sharing some ideas about how to think in the uniqueness of our own sleep cycle. Um, another, another capacity is caffeine. Some people are hypersensitive to caffeine. If they have a cup of coffee at nine o'clock in the morning, they're wired for 24 hours. Some people can drink a, a cup of caffeinated coffee right before bed. I don't necessarily recommend that even if you can fall asleep as it can alter the quality of your sleep, but that's a very individual decision. I don't think anybody has to say, you know, this amount of coffee, that amount of coffee. You have to understand what works best for your body, how you metabolize things, when is best, and indeed how to be able to, to achieve that. Um, I think a good cup of coffee can be one of the greatest stories in life. Um, the, the, uh, the Goldilocks principle, understanding that yes, um, it is good to have a solid uh, mattress and pillow. I'm not a big believer that you have to spend thousands of dollars on these things. There are companies that will tell you, you know, to buy the fanciest uh, bedware. And if, and if you have that, it, it can be nice. But sometimes I find just a decent spring mattress and a decent pillow you can get for, you know, 20 or 30 or $40, whatever it is, making sure you have something that is supportive. And if you do have back or you do have neck issues, making sure you're using devices that can be supportive for whatever situation you're with. Um, but to be able to find the right fit for you. And lastly, understanding what makes your sleep cycle tick. Some people are very, they can just, you know, instantly close their eyes at whatever time it is and fall right asleep. Some people need to wind down. Some people hold on to stress and process conversations and emotions differently. Some people can just, you know, be on, uh, you know, uh, their computer or a TV or whatever it is right before bed and just pass out and sleep fine. Other people are very sensitive to stimulus and to blue light. And so to understand what makes my sleep cycle tick, what do I need to be able to prime my sleep every single night, these are important questions to be able to, to ask ourselves. And again, feel free to, uh, to answer, uh, to ask any questions that you might have. Okay, this is a, a little uh, little meme over here. It says, I don't want to sleep like a baby. I just want to sleep like my husband. Um, yeah, I, 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 I had different babies who had different uh, sleep cycles. So sometimes sleeping like a baby doesn't necessarily seem like the best thing. Um, and in terms of wanting to sleep like my husband, I get oftentimes wives who will call me and tell me, yeah, their husband just, you know, sleeps great, snores all night. And, uh, you know, she's up having to, uh, to deal with this. So there you go. We can all aspire to sleep like somebody else. Okay. Um, let me tell you about some of the common sleep issues that I deal with in my practice. Um, certainly, I would say, number one, hard time falling asleep. Um, you know, definitely we would kind of classify that as insomnia. Usually in the medical textbooks, they'll say anything more than 20 minutes is considered, um, you know, is considered problematic. It depends on the person, you know, I, I wouldn't start raising alarms, um, but if it is taking someone a long time to fall asleep, that's definitely an issue that does need to be addressed. Um, frequent and prolonged waking, like I said, I think it is normal as people get up in age that they will get up once or twice at night to go to the bathroom. I think where it becomes more problematic if that's, you know, if they're getting up every hour, every hour and a half, that really does break their sleep cycle. And, you know, one would have to ask what's going on, as well as with prolonged waking, to understand, you know, if they're, if they're, every time they get up, they're up for an hour, you know, why is 
that going on and what can they do to be able to if they do get up um go right back to sleep oftentimes i'll get um you know new mothers who have like you know the hormone fluctuation of postpartum and then they can't sleep and then you know the baby's waking up every two hours and then even when the baby's sleeping she can't sleep and so oftentimes that definitely complicates things um but you know at every stage in life we have our own challenges and it is worth thinking about how to be able to to deal with that Sometimes I'm dealing with cases like in case number three about general exhaustion, where the person says, look, I sleep seven, eight hours a night, no known issues, but I feel so tired during the day. I feel so lethargic during the day. I'm in a head fog all day. I have this exhaustion. And then we have to see where is that coming from? Most likely, in my experience, it comes from there is something going on in, in sleep, or maybe it's another issue that does need to get addressed. Um, snoring and apnea are incredibly common. Um, case, snoring, essentially snoring and apnea are kind of two sides on the same coin. Snoring is where the throat narrows, allowing the, that vibration of the, you know, we all know what snoring sounds like. I don't know to make that sound to you, but apnea is actually that to the extreme. It's actually where the throat collapses entirely while the person sleeps. And that can go on once an hour, it can go on 50 times an hour, and then actually the person almost is as if they're choking themselves, and their oxygen level of their body goes down and down and down until their body will shoot adrenaline to like take them out of this deep sleep, allow them to take a, 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 a gasp of air, and their body can do this repeatedly. Apnea is a very serious issue. Um, it can, it's very much 80% of cases are undiagnosed. People do not realize they have apnea. It is something in terms of the risk factors for apnea. Being a man already puts you in the risk factors for apnea. If you snore, if you have a large neck, if you're overweight, and as you get up in age, all of those are risk factors for apnea. Um, and it's worth thinking about, you know, as, as we'll discuss at the end of this talk, about how to understand what apnea is and indeed how to treat it. Um, the last thing I deal with are things like... If you have apnea, does that also affect your daily breathing, your daytime breathing? Not, not necessarily. No, it, it could be that people are breathe fine during the day. And specifically, you know, when they're in a horizontal position in sleeping, that's specifically when, they're, when, they're, when their throat collapses on that. So it could be that they breathe fine 100% during the day, and it's something that specifically comes out at night. There's no, there's no relationship. One, one, one. Not necessarily. There could be, but not not necessarily. Okay. Okay. The the last thing I deal with are um are nightmares and night paralysis. I recently spoke at the Rotary Club of Southland, and a lot of people had uh, questions about nightmares. Nightmares certainly were used to them more commonly with children, but it can definitely um exist well into adulthood. Um, as well as night paralysis, which can oftentimes go hand in hand. If you don't know what it is, consider yourself fortunate. But night paralysis is like where you're in a nightmare. There's like a scary, scary monster chasing you, and you you can't move. You're like stuck there. So oftentimes those uh, th those indeed work hand in hand. So those are the kind of the things that I deal with a little bit in my practice. Um, and I'm again happy to take any questions. Uh, this is a uh, this is a picture of a sleep lab of a cartoon of a sleep lab to the guy with hooked up with a hundred different electrodes. He says, "Okay, now just sleep normally." Uh, many people ask me when should they go in for a sleep test. Um, it's certainly a question for your doctor. You can also ask your uh, your physician. I find that in general, sleep tests are best for diagnosing like a one-time diagnosis of apnea. They have all the proper equipment there. Um, and if you consider there are other you know, potential kind of like hardwired sleep issues going on. You have a circadian rhythm disorder or something like that. I find that the more behavioral or cognitive or psychological elements in regards to sleep 
oftentimes are not really well diagnosed by sleep labs. And oftentimes, like imagine if someone can't fall asleep in their own bed, then they go into a sleep lab and they're hooked up with 100 electrodes and the doctor's walking in and out of the room, then they really can't sleep. So it doesn't really tell us a whole lot. So, um, you know, sleep labs can be effective, but I think it has to be in the proper, uh, you have to know what, what you're looking for in the proper context. Okay, um, let me just share with you kind of some of the, the sleep mistakes that I see a lot of people making, uh, well-meaning people, people that want or are trying to get in a good night's sleep. Um, number one is sleeping pills. Sleeping pills are incredibly, incredibly common. Millions and millions of scripts are written for sleeping pills every month in this country and around the world. We are a very sleep-deprived generation. And in my experience, sleeping pills are not a great long-term solution. They're linked with, uh, first of all, they, they lose potency over time. They'll start working for a little bit and then they'll stop working. Um, sleeping pills, they are linked to all sorts of negative consequences, increased morbidity of death, um, higher rates of cancer, um, you know, dementia, Alzheimer's, all sorts of things that sleeping pills are linked to. Now, again, I don't mean to scare anybody. If sleeping pills are one's only option, then, then that's their option. It's better to get a good night's sleep than not. But I think, in my view, sleeping pills are always always a last resort. Oftentimes, doctors will just write sleeping pills without really kind of taking the time to understand why is their body not sleeping well? Where is their mind not sleeping? As opposed to trying to mask over the issue with a sleeping pill um, when people are going for those kind of quick fix solutions, I find that oftentimes that can be, that can be problematic. Um, the number two clutch mistake that I see a lot of even very bright people making, you think like it's so obvious, but like how many of us actually do things that are obvious? is with technology and stress. Um, many people are very um, constantly, you know, they're wired to their phones, they're on their phones, the last thing before bed, the first thing in the morning, and that constant stimulus, the stress that it comes, the work emails, the text messages, the news, the whatever, the staying up late watching videos, whatever it is, really does wreak havoc on our sleep. Um, so to be able to create some distance from that technology and to be able to, to really make sure that the quality of sleep is best, um, I think that a lot of people have, uh, have simply have a lack of sleep awareness. Like you're going to have people that are very bright in a lot of areas. And I mean this to say even well-meaning people, uh, very driven and entrepreneurial people, even medical professionals, doctors, and, and other therapists who aren't specializing in sleep um, oftentimes don't have a very keen understanding of how a lot of these things work. And I think it's worth people educating themselves and bringing that to the forefront of their awareness, how sleep works and how to fix sleep issues indeed if they are experiencing it. Um, oftentimes I, I will deal with improper breathing. I believe that people, and this is kind of related to Mr. Miller's um, conversation, I believe there is a relationship between daytime and nighttime breathing, but I believe it works in the other way. When people have a poor breathing during the day that comes out at night as apnea, and I believe one of the methodologies that I believe in is that when we when we fix this, the, the breathing during the day, we're able to fix the breathing um, at night. So, you know, perhaps we can speak about that a little bit at the end as well. Um, the last clutch mistake that I see people making is missing the window and forcing sleep. Many people will try to be night people or try to be morning people when really they're not, or they'll, you know, their, their bedtime is at 11, but they'll push themselves to one and then they're, they're not tired anymore. They're wired and they miss it. And then they become very frustrated. Um, and then like, you know, they push themselves and they get anxious why we're not sleeping, but really if they just kind of were able to tap into their correct sleep window, they could have avoided that situation entirely. Uh, I oftentimes find this with little kids. Um, the, their parents will try to put their kids to bed either too early or too late. You know, you have kids, parents who like think, yeah, like my five-year-old needs to be in bed by 6.30 and sleeping for 14 hours. And you're like, 
no, actually, five-year-olds don't sleep for 14 hours. And by, like, forcing the kid to, like, be in bed at 6.30, first of all, you're traumatizing the kid. I deal with many of those kids when they're adults and, like, they have sleep issues the rest of their life. Um, but, but, but even right then, like, even putting the kid to bed, you're just kind of creating tension. You have to be able to, the same way that we have a sleep window, kids have sleep windows too, and every kid is different. Even, you know, kids within the same family can have different sleep personalities and to be able to pick up on when that is and not try to force sleep, but be, have it to be done in a, in a very natural and, and calm kind of way. Okay, this is a little uh, little meme over here. How well I sleep um, at work, watching a movie, driving, and laying in my own bed at night. Sometimes you'll have people that are just so tired and so tired they can sleep anywhere else except for their own bed, and then like they're just their eyes are wide awake. Okay, it's certainly something common that I that I deal with. Okay, let's speak about um, just some some good uh, sleep hygiene. Sleep hygiene is the term that's used to just kind of creating the proper environment to sleep. Um, we want the bedroom to be a sleep sanctuary oftentimes especially when it was the COVID crisis people working from home uh, they're working out of their bedroom i have clients today that work out of their bedroom and it's not a great shake because essentially your mind learns to associate the bedroom with stress the bedroom with work the bedroom with technology and then when you get into bed you're right there in your office you don't have any kind of separation so to be able that the bedroom should be somewhere that's that's unique for sleep and unique for intimacy um to be able to give technology a break like we spoke about i recommend don't even bring your computer or bringing your smartphone into your bedroom to be able to create that um, that physical separation. Having a consistent bedtime and wake-up time is one of the things that oftentimes they recommend that if people fluctuate, this is very challenging for shift workers or even for people who have, you know, oftentimes I'll get clients, they'll tell me, yeah, you know, Sunday night I can't sleep well because, you know, the weekend they're on a very different sleep schedule and they're trying to get back to their work schedule on Sunday and that really throws them off. So especially as one is kind of realigning their, and resetting their sleep schedule to be able to have a consistent bedtime and a consistent wake-up um, rest and not digest, meaning it's not great to eat a lot of heavy foods before bed. Generally, they recommend stopping to eat two or three hours. You can have a small snack before bed, but not a huge meal as your body will then, as opposed to doing, because people think their body's kind of like shut off when they sleep. It's not true. Your body is super active. It's doing a ton of stuff. We spoke about immunity earlier. Um, your body does its growth. It does a, a huge amount of turning over, reprocessing and repair when you sleep. So you want to give the body the opportunity to do all of that and not being involved and, in, you know, you're digesting your three, you know, bowls of chocolate that you put into it at 11 o'clock at night because you're staying up for Mishmar, which is, of course, a tremendous mitzvah. Um, but to think about how that ramification is going to have on your sleep. Um, caffeine and exercise, generally they recommend not having coffee in the PM. Um, I recommend going for the herbal teas if you do like drinking something or decaf. Decaf does have a little bit of coffee, so just to keep that in mind. Um, with exercise, they recommend also not exercising too late. I believe, in my personal opinion, late exercise is better than no exercise. Exercise can be a phenomenal tool to get our body sleeping, um, but to try to, let's say before you know, 7 or 8 p.m., the morning time is best. Even you know, early evening is okay. Late at night can get someone very wired if they're you know going to run a marathon at ten o'clock at night. Okay, this guy's uh, right. I have a hard time hibernating. My phone kept going off. Right, that's why we keep our our eyes out there. Okay, um, so let me let me share with you some more complex cases that I've deal with in my in my practice. Um, and then I'll deal with some more cases. And then we'll get into some specific uh, diagnostics, and then I'm happy to take any questions. So I was dealing with a fellow today. Uh, in, in Israel, I was dealing with a client, and oftentimes I'm asking the question, what's really bothering you? In my experience, let's say kind of more behavioral or psychologically driven insomnia can come from two places. On one hand, it can come from a place of, um, of, of anxiety regarding sleep, 
and this I think is very common, but people get into a bad habit and then think they're worried about sleep. Am I not going to fall asleep tonight? What's going to happen if I don't fall asleep tonight? I need sleeping pills to sleep. All of that anxiety that's driven regarding sleep itself. That's something certainly I see very commonly, but also I'll deal with maybe there's something going on behind the scenes. Maybe there's a part of their life that they feel out of sync. Maybe they're holding on to a lot of stress and anxiety for a different part of their life, and then they're carrying that to the bedroom. So really what I do is a lot of kind of that searching to understand what's really bothering you. Where is this real negative emotional energy coming from for your life and trying your best to restore balance in that. Um, Negative links of home or the bedroom can be very relevant. Oftentimes we'll see this in cases where clients suffered from abuse or trauma inside the home or inside the bedroom, certainly um, marriage abuse, sexual abuse, things like that can really wreak havoc as they have this link between the bed and a place of pain and a, a place of vulnerability. Um, so to be able to able to restructure the mind, to be able to link that differently. Um, shift work, as I said, certainly nurses, doctors, pilots, things like that, they're kind of naturally against their circadian rhythm. Sometimes those are more complex cases to deal with, especially when it's you know two nights on, one night off, and this and that, having to bounce back between sleep cycles can be quite challenging. Um, Hormone imbalances, as we'll speak about um, perhaps in detail in a minute about how that affects sleep. And also, this is, it seems subtle, but it's, um, I I believe it can be very powerful about removing negative labels. Oftentimes, the very thing that's holding us back from sleep is actually the label that we have. I'm a bad sleeper. I have insomnia. I can't sleep. And those are just labels that we tell ourselves. And oftentimes, we've been told those by other therapists or doctors, but sometimes it really starts to creating that positive resonance and positive messaging within ourselves that allows ourselves to believe we can sleep naturally and we ourselves we we can sleep properly um you know fr- from within okay let's go a little further um let me just uh, share a couple of um a couple of interesting cases that I had, uh, I guess, over the, over the last few months over here. So this uh, case number one was a Friday night. Sorry, a, a fellow um, a Jew in the, the New York area, a very successful person. He was. We were got him on a place that he was really sleeping well six nights a week. Friday night, he was not sleeping well. And that's a real anomaly because most of my clients usually sleep much better on Shabbos. They're home. They have a heavy meal. They're with their family. Um, they generally sleep much better um, than not. But over here... Um, this fellow specifically was not sleeping well Friday night, and we ended up doing regression therapy, which is a part of uh, hypnosis, and we ended up understanding that he was actually, um, <laughs> that's a, a euphemism, he was deathly afraid of death. He was, he had never been able to wrap his mind around the end of life, around the finality of life. He was always avoiding that that conversation and that conversation in his head. Um, but ultimately, he knew that it was something that, that really bothered him. He never came to grips. He never came to peace with the fact that we are mortal, that everyone will indeed have, have the end of their life. And the, specifically throughout the whole week, he was always able to distract himself from that thought and that conversation with himself. And he was able to be on his phone and be at work and going out to the Chavrus and this and that. But Friday night, the way that he, his subconscious mind understood, everyone goes to sleep. There's no technology. There's no distractions. There's just him and his thoughts. And that's something that haunted him until we'd be able to get to the root of that and be able to enable his mind to come to peace and come to terms with that reality. And then at that point, he was able to sleep as well on Friday night. Um, case number two, I was dealing with a person who 
they suffered from a very challenging upbringing and they they never gave themselves permission to sleep when we went into their subconscious mind they so much needed to be able to be strong and to be able to be um of defense that they never allowed themselves the opportunity their subconscious mind always had to keep them on guard they never gave themselves permission to to become vulnerable permission to be able to relax permission to be able to give them give themselves rest and we were able to uncover that they were able to have that transfer, transformation as well um case number 3 actually came from a very prominent rabbi I was dealing with in New York, fantastic fellow, um, he had a case of imposter syndrome, and this is something that was very common. He had it, I would say, to the extreme, where he had, a, he had people in the outside world viewed him with a tremendous amount of respect and uh, admiration for everything he accomplished in his life, but he himself, due to a series of events that happened in his childhood and his adolescence, he himself view, viewed himself very lowly, um, and he constantly was kind of haunted by this negative self-image and negative self-esteem that, that brought about through this imposter syndrome, and we have to do some inner work to be able to repair that to allow him to be sort of say comfortable in his own skin and comfortable with himself to be able to, to sleep properly. Um, case number four was a, was a different client I was working with who we went back and we did some regression therapy and he went back to his childhood where he imagined as a child that his bed was filled with cockroaches. You could imagine and he screamed you know he remembers having these kind of repeated like vivid nightmares as a kid and even though he doesn't think that anymore his subconscious mind became kind of emblazed and emboldened with this idea that bed is scary bed has cockroaches and we had to kind of work that out of his subconscious mind for him to be able to, to sleep well um this uh, case number five was a case where we deal with there was a lady um she had covid her father-in-law son died of covid that her husband had covid and then she had and then she gave birth and then like two days after she uh she had to make pesach and with all the stress of that then boom her sleep snapped and her sleep anxiety started and then she was on a vicious cycle from there um and it all kind of went back to the stress the stress developed the the insomnia the insomnia morphed into a thing of its own so you know oftentimes we have to really unravel those cases and uh, and be able to to get a person back whole and get a person back um to uh, to, to to where they should be any questions up to now before we dive into the next part anything specifically i can address Okay. Well, you f feel free to stop me. I'm here for you to unmute yourself and do it. What I wanted to do is I wanted to just, um, I guess, go over a couple of sample reports of some diagnostic equipment that I use in my practice that can be very revealing. Um, this right over here, this is an email report. Email is a device that we use. It's uh, something that we send to a lot of our clients and it's used in your own bedroom from the comfort of your own home. And it's able to track your oxygen and your heart rate at night because this can be very revealing when it comes to apnea to be able to see what's going on. Um, so you can see here, if I, if I scroll a little bit down, this is one's oxygen level throughout the night. And the, um, the dotted line, it's very normal that there's fluctuation. No one has a constant, you know, like 100% oxygen at night. Um, but this dotted line is really called the 94% mark. And that's really the almost kind of the red line. As much as it's hovering, even though it's going up and down, this fluctuation is totally fine. And, you know, this small fluctuation down into the 93, you know, is also okay. This um, is significant, you know, kind of when it goes down well below its range. Now, for this person, it only happened twice in a night, so that's relatively insignificant. Um, but sometimes you all get clients, and this looks like a roller coaster. I mean, they're just going up and down, you know, this, this number all day. And that's really when it kind of causes time for alarm um, and causes time for, you know, to us to kind of think about that. Um, and this is their heart rate. 
And, you know, generally, again, you know, the heart rate is, uh, is, is we want it below this dotted line. We want the heart rate to be nice and calm. And obviously fluctuation is normal, but sometimes I'll get uh, clients where it looks like the inverse fluctuation. They're having these heart spikes. And when I ask them, why is their heart doing that night? You know, certainly to speak to their cardiologist, if there's a, you know, potential arrhythmia or whatever it is, an imbalanced uh, heartbeat. Um, but sometimes this can be caused by apnea because again, apnea is causing stress on the body. The body has to then kind of send that surge to be able to, you know, to, to wake the person up. Sometimes this is caused by stress or anxiety. Nightmares can cause a heart racing, you know, so this is kind of a very revealing sign of how calm and how relaxed is the sleep. Um, just to kind of go over some of the numbers. So, you know, we really want, we want, let's say a hundred percent, ideally of that oxygen uh, to be in the 94 to hundred level of, of the O2. Um, you know, again, this is not terrible. Sometimes I'll get clients, you know, with a large percentage right down here, which is problematic. Um, you know, but we really want to be able to make sure that those oxygen levels are staying high on um, the ODI four ODI three is really how much does our, um, does it come off of the baseline? Now, this is really only significant if our baseline itself is low. Um, but this is, you know, call it four, four times an hour, nine times an hour. If these were more significant, really kind of dipping down, um, that would be a problem, but you know, because in general, the person is staying above the level, that's not going to be problematic. Usually what they'll say is, let's say approximately, you know, if it's up to 10, you know, situations of even kind of genuine apnea an hour, that's considered mild apnea. You know, let's say uh, approximately 10 to 20 is considered moderate. Above 20 would be considered severe apnea. And indeed, it is worth um, treating those. To, to understand what the treatment levels are for apnea, um, the classic option is called a CPAP machine, a continuous positive air pressure machine where it's actually a mask that you wear either your nose, your mouth, or just over your nose that will actually kind of regulate the air pressure to make sure that there is a positive air pressure coming in, um, it, which is a great option if a person gets that, you know, gets uh, given a CPAP machine and they can tolerate the CPAP machine. Sometimes that can be a very easy option. Some people simply can't sleep with the CPAP machine on. Some people it's not effective. Um, option number two would be a mandibular device. It's a dental device that kind of sends your jaw a little bit forward, kind of opens up your airways at night um, to prevent the throat collapse. What I usually do with clients, especially if they've tried the devices and those devices have not been effective, it's really a much more holistic approach to essentially asking the question, why is that body not sleeping? Um, so oftentimes we'll look at weight loss. Weight loss is usually very significant when it comes to snoring and apnea. In addition to that, we'll take a deep dive into the food and drinks of when they're eating it, how it's affecting their sleep. Um, we'll take a look at air, breathing exercises, posture exercises, tongue exercises, really trying to get this whole mechanism to be able to be much stronger, much leaner, much more optimized. Sometimes we'll bring in different devices to be able to correct the, mechanically the, the situation. Um, but, you know, when especially when we're working with devices like this in one's home, we're able to see in real time, let's see, like, you know, try this exercise, let's see how that affects things. It was monitor them on a nightly basis, which can be really helpful and really, um, really promising in this regard. Uh, so I'm going to close that. Any questions on anything I said up to now? Okay. You, you guys are great. Uh, I stumped you. Uh, okay. So I, what I want to go over here, um, Everything, is, yeah. me, it, it seems to me that it's such a individualistic situation that I mean you you just can't go into a, uh, a sleep apnea studio and have them just give you a quick well oh well you know some a simple one two three answer because there's so much more that they need to know than 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 just what data they're picking up 
I agree. I, I agree. I mean, I think there are some things that they can pick up, you know, kind of quick, quickly and accurately with the diagnostics. But I agree. I believe, in my opinion, sleep is a lot more holistic. It's a lot more broad. It involves the person's body and mind and, you know, and every, every part of them. And that's why, I, indeed, I agree. I do spend a lot of time with my clients and really, you know, kind of dealing with a lot of these different factors and really bringing these all together. 100%. I, I, understand, I understand that uh, sleep apnea machines are not available nowadays. Oh, that, that I hadn't heard. I mean, I, I hadn't heard that there was a shortage of CPAP machines. I know, uh, you know, I know the hospitals are, uh, you know, eager on, on ventilators and having ventilators are quite a lot for enough patients, but I had not heard there was a shortage of, of CPAP machines, but um, perhaps I, I can look into that indeed if one, if one is in need of such a machine. You're, you're not aware of that. I'm not aware of that. I don't, I don't, I don't normally, prescribe nor deliver CPAP machines, but I have not heard that from my clients, but it could be that is reality. I know there is a, a, uh, a, a supply line uh, crisis and whatnot. So, um, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they are on back order. Is there, is there any way that you could ask? Sure. Yeah, 100%. I'm, I'm happy to, to reach out to some of my sources and see what I can do. What's that? I, I can do that, yes. Okay, thank you. Amazing. My pleasure. Okay. So what, what I want to do now, um, I, I used to think when I first opened my practice, that like all sleepers, there's all sleep issues are in your head. It's mind over matter, you know, just improve your psychology and your sleep will be fine until I realized that that wasn't always the case. Um, and that's when I actually brought on a team of functional medicine doctors onto into my practice to be able to help me to identify if people do have biochemical issues, if there is an underlying imbalance, um, and they'll, they'll, they'll order these tests, the tests arrive at people's homes, it's done via either urine or saliva, depending on the test, and they're able, from functional medicine that, that my, my team practices, um, it really impresses me. I mean, every time I get on a consultation with them, they always teach me a lot, and it's a, it's a very in-depth and it's a very customized approach to understanding sleep medicine. They're not necessarily diagnosing disease and acute issues that oftentimes you'll find in more general and, you know, kind of classic conventional medicine, but they're more picking up on the idiosyncrasies of the biochemical systems that are going on in a person. So actually this is a sample report of, you know, the type of tests that they run. So I just wanted to go over it and just share in my experience, some of the imbalances they, that they do pick up on. Um, certainly the sex hormones is something that we see quite often. And this is also something that as people get older, um, we definitely see, you know, they have a fluctuation in the sex hormones. You know, when they're experiencing menopause, that itself can have a very, you know, kind of strong fluctuation on their sleep. Um, and to be able to pick up, I mean, you know, within within this graph, you know, this is kind of normal, normal range, you know, between the star and the purple line, um, you know, can, can, can also be kind of be below normal. The purple line is post menopausal range, but sometimes we'll get even clients below the purple line, you know, which in which case, you know, we might have to ask ourselves what's going on over there. There is such a thing called hormone replacement therapy. Um, it's somewhat controversial, especially if there's a history in cancer, speak to your doctor about it. But I do find that there are over the counter um, supplements that are able to help restore the, bal the balance of the body's natural hormone levels without necessarily going down for replacement therapy um, if, if, if somebody's not in, into that. Um, the next quality yeah. is, yes. Oh, um, the, the next quality over here is cortisol. Now, cortisol is a little bit of a, um, it's a tricky thing to measure. And, you know, if you go to your doctor's office, you get like a regular blood test and they measure your cortisol levels. That actually doesn't, doesn't tell us a lot about the picture because cortisol is a pattern. Um, so what our teams do is oftentimes measure five or even six times a day. 
um, based upon where your cortisol levels are because they really want to see this pattern. We want to see where the levels are first thing in the morning. We want to see how it rises. We want to see how it dips and we want to see how it goes down here. Now, oftentimes, you know, like in a classic case, if a person's under extreme stress and anxiety and their cortisol levels are up here at night, then we know exactly why they're not sleeping. But sometimes I'll get, you know, their cortisol levels in the afternoon and night are fine, but in the morning and the daytime, it's above the average. And sometimes we'll actually get that people can't sleep because of their daytime cortisol patterns are off and that will then throw off their nighttime patterns and then their whole system is out of whack. Or sometimes people are just, they don't want to go to sleep because they don't want to face that, which is going to be the next day. I had a client in Israel that we spoke to her subconscious mind and that's where she came from. And we ended up managing her cortisol during the day and that actually ended up leading to a much better um, much better sleep at night. So, you know, it's interesting just kind of keeping all of these things in mind. This is the difference. Um, this is kind of overall free cortisol. Like, how much cortisol did you produce as a total throughout the day? Um, but sometimes, like I said, it's more it's more important where the picture is heading um, in terms of overall kind of pictures. I'll speak for a second about DHEA because DHEA most people haven't heard of it. Um, but DHEA is it's almost a miracle drug. DHEA is is an, it's one of the the building blocks for our entire entire hormonal system. And DHEA, if people are lacking it, it can have a tremendous health. Um, uh, um, it can have a tremendous health decrease. It can affect our health negatively in many ways. And by giving it, it actually kind of is, is a, it's a unique um, chemical that our bodies are able to siphon into many different hormones and many different patterns, as I'll explain in a second. Um, so when a person, let's say, goes down, so this is, you know, DHEA comes down the gauntlet and this is, uh, sorry, it's, uh, DHEA is over here and DHEA then can turn itself into DHES, which is another form of it, but it's also, it's the thing that turns into, it turns into testosterone, it turns into estrogen, it turns into estradiol, it turns into all of these other hormones. And so if the body is lacking in any of these areas, we can target those areas themselves or we can go for DHEA and there are different forms of DHEA, um, but to be able to see exactly, you know, and then the body almost knows what to do with it when it gets that kind of key building block and knows how to turn this into everything that it needs to be, to be able to create any balance that are in this area. And you can see like, even let's say DHES over here, they're giving the ranges that, you know, as a person gets older, it is normal that those levels go down, but we do want to make sure that even in whatever age the person is, that they are within their, their normal and expected range. Um, let me just continue over here. So this is, um, you know, look where we look for, we look for melatonin. So oftentimes people will say, you know, I can't sleep. I tried taking melatonin. It took three milligrams. I took 30 milligrams. I had somebody on one of my calls that it took 70 milligrams of melatonin. That's a little bit too much, in case, just in case you're asking. Um, but to me, mel taking melatonin without testing is just like you're just throwing spaghetti against the wall and hoping something's going to stick. It's no surprise that melatonin doesn't work because maybe the person's not deficient in melatonin. So that's why we want to test. Let's see, is the person deficient in melatonin? Are they not? Why are they deficient in melatonin? Is melatonin the best thing to give them? Or perhaps one of the chemical precursors to melatonin, like 5-HTP or L-tryptophan or something like that, would actually be a better option than giving them pure melatonin themselves, especially if they don't react well to melatonin. So, you know, again, I find that when, when my functional medicine team is coming at it from a place of data, they understand where is this person's unique numbers holding, they're much better able to address those kind of questions. Um, this is a balance between cortisone and cortisol. Cortisone is the stored form. Cortisol is the free form. And my functional medicine team will ask the kind of questions, is the body not producing 
any cortisol, or they have what should be called HPA axis burnout, where their endocrine system is actually burnt out and it's not producing at all what it should? Are they producing it but storing it too quickly and they're not able to express it? And that's a different kind of factor with a different kind of um, treatment. So, you know, again, all of these kind of what might, what looks like minor points and variations can actually be very telling to the type of doctors that are very sensitive to how, how the systems in our body operate. Um, and then they're also looking for things like um, vitamin B6, B12, which can be helpful. Um, neuro transmitters indeed where's you know where, where's those brain levels helping how best to restore balance in that um melatonin oxidative stress you know again I mean, these are just an example but these are the kind of things that we're looking for and if someone does feel that you know they are putting you know forth their best effort they are reducing stress they don't feel anxious and yet simply they're not sleeping properly so these are the kind of things that we find as diagnostic treatments um, can be very helpful to help them get to the bottom of things and help them make that uh, that full restitution Okay, that was enough of me. Any more questions? Yes. Yeah, um, please. Would you call? Uh, would you? What you showed us just now? Uh, a personalized analysis of sleep uh, treatment or sleep apnea or the whole area of sleeping. As opposed to conventional wisdom, or, or if so, if if, if uh, I, I I don't know how to properly present it, but uh, I, I want to know if this is something you is your thinking something unique, or is it something that is conventional? Uh, if I go to if I go to St. Louis. And um, ask my doctor to talk, to present. Let me talk to somebody who uh, can help me. Uh, they they would have a complete different approach and different ideas about the whole thing. Right. I do believe what we're doing is unique. Um, and my practice was kind of really built out of the fact that this was not being done. Um, in classic, not not classic medicine, not sleep medicine, not even by kind of, you know, typical therapists and psychologists. And I really built my practice around filling in that niche and bringing on experts and bringing on expertise that would kind of speak very uniquely. Um, I, even within, let's say, the sleep coaching world, there aren't people that are as broad as what we're doing in terms of working with apnea, working with the biochemical side, and with the more behavioral and, uh, and, and cognitive side. So it's really, you know, in my mind, we are doing something that's unique, bringing all of these elements in tandem and bringing them all them together to be able to, to cure the sleep from the ground up. So, you know, different, piece, different people have different pieces of the puzzle, but I really pride myself on kind of creating that one-stop shop that everyone can come to us and we can really, you know, deal with their sleep from whatever factors that might be necessary. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to be intrusive, but is there such a thing as, as an endorsement of anybody who says that your your approach makes you know has has validity to it? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to about that. Like I said, a lot of my clients are medical doctors and therapists themselves um, who have, uh, you know, definitely shared their, their expertise and their, uh, and their validity in what they do. So I'm, I'm happy to, to set, send up by email some, uh, some of those positive recommendations. Are you seeing anything with COVID that's uh, striking? Yes, um, we're, see we're seeing two things. Number one, I mean, just in general, especially with the lockdown, stress, anxiety, not going out, not getting sunlight, not getting exercise, that was very much affecting people's sleep. 
Um, and in addition to, you know, kind of the anxiety that kind of came along with COVID, the post-COVID hormone fluctuations, um, the kind of po the long COVID, as they say, insomnia, and many doctors were kind of like scratching their heads, where is this coming from? So that was actually one of the things that the, the doctors on my team were amongst the forefront in understanding and recognizing where the COVID virus for certain patients was throwing, you know, their, their hormones in, in imbalance and creating those, those biochemical um, markers in their body that was affecting their insomnia. Most people ended up, you know, six months or a year end up kind of growing out of that. Um, but for some people, um, some people not, and certainly six months or a year is a long time not to be sleeping well. So, you know, that these are, these are the kind of things that we are testing for if one was experiencing the, those longer symptoms of, of COVID that affected their sleep. Lois Lefton. Any further questions? Oh, okay. Hi, it's live. My, my uh, camera's not working for some reason today. So. Um, what about sleep pillows? What about pillows for people that can't sleep on a regular puffy pillow or can't find a flat pillow or need neck support and Tempur-Pedic is too mushy and the, member, the memory form foam. Do you have a place that you recommend for people to get good pillows? I happen to get most of my sleep products on Amazon. I like Amazon. I can ship everything, you know, almost anywhere and people can see the recommendations. Um, so I recommend based upon the individual finding out what it is. I think there's a lot of positive things. And, and yes, you're right. I mean, I think the sleep pillow has to be custom to the person. Some people like one, some people like two, some people like fur, some people like soft. Some people have, you know, specific specific cranial issues then they, that they do need specific, you know, more supportive or more or more structured pillows based upon that. Um, but I find by and large, people are able to, you know, without spending a huge amount of money, find the right pillow for them on, you know, with a, with a quick Amazon search. That's been my experience. Okay. Ron, thank you very much. Amazing. Thank, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you very much. Thank you.